With a word about predictive prophecy, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Prophecy is the calling card of God. Isaiah chapter 48 says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear them. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Isaiah, carried along by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, is writing down the words of God. And God says, I say something's going to happen and I make it happen. Only God can do that. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Predictive prophecy is one of four reasons why we can have a high confidence the Bible is the Word of God and true. But how do we really know the Bible is true? That's our focus today on Abounding Grace. Inspired by our study of Hebrews, we're addressing the critic of the Bible with compelling reasons for its veracity. Beginning with a couple of resources to answer the critic, here's our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor. When critics ask, that's the Bible difficulty one. The other one is when skeptics ask, and the two books together, I know one year I used this book just as my devos, and I read through all the difficulties of the Bible one year as a part of my devotional life just to learn, and sometimes I've even quoted this in a Bible study, like he's done such a great job on it, I don't need to elaborate on it, I'll just say, hey, this is, what, this is an answer specifically quoted from Norm Geisler, and I hope you learn to chew on it and learn from it. So when critics ask, a great resource that you can use to grow in your understanding of how to deal with biblical difficulties, but there are no contradictions. Instead, there's one theme, and here's the theme in the Bible. You ready? God's undying love for man and his plan for man to have his sins forgiven and be restored in relationship with him forever. That's the theme of the Bible. From the very beginning in Genesis, we read of a loving, caring, compassionate God chasing after sinners. He's having relationship with them until they fail him. And instead of giving up on those that failed him, he pursues them. And that's the continued story, the scarlet thread of scripture, that by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed for you and me, God's pursuit of you can be over if you simply repent of your sins and receive Jesus as your savior today. 66 books, 40 authors, three languages, three continents, 1,600 years. Who wrote the Bible? God. Well, what if somebody says, no, I don't believe God wrote the Bible. Man wrote the Bible. If somebody comes to you and says, yeah, I don't believe God wrote the Bible. Man did. You say, you're right. Man did write the Bible. But God inspired them. He is the divine author of scriptures. And he used the agency of man, the hand of man, the quill of man to write down precisely the words that he desired to be in the holy scriptures. His revelation of himself to us. 
so many quickly dismiss the Bible because they say it's written by man. And then their mindset is they're like, well, in their mind they think that there's a big bonfire and Abraham, Moses, Paul, James, they're all hanging around the bonfire saying, what do you want to write? And what do you think we should put in? No, I don't like that. And they're arguing about what they can write. But obviously that's not possible because the authorship of the Bible spans 1,600 years. And they were in different parts of the world, different places that God spoke to them and inspired them. Do you know the Old Testament itself claims to be from God? Jot it down. In Exodus chapter 24, verse 4, it says, And Moses wrote all the words of Jehovah. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, Jehovah, or the Lord, said to me, Take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen. Over 2,000 times we read of men of God saying something like this. God said, or like the old King James, thus saith the Lord. 2,000 times in the Bible. In the New Testament, the Old Testament is claimed to be inspired thousands of times. Like the one we saw in John chapter 13, Acts chapter 17. 18 of the 22 books in the Jewish Old Testament are cited in the New Testament. We can trust the Bible because it's written by God and not man. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let me show you one more thing before we get into the final part of our study today. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter adds to this understanding of the inspiration of God. How, how inspiration, that word inspiration, you could write next to it, God breathed. Just like God breathed life into Adam, God breathed life into the men that he used to write the scriptures. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, notice with me verse 19. Very important to grasp. 2 Peter 1.19 says, And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so God, in his trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, wrote the Bible as they inspired and carried men along to write down exactly what he wanted us to know about him. And there's that cooperation between God and the men he chose to record all of his, all of his history inspired and infallible. As people come and try to undermine the scriptures, I want to equip you to hold fast to the truth. And before we leave now, I want to give you four things, four different pieces of evidence that will give you a greater faith in the authority of God's word, both internal and external evidence. Enough where there's substance and evidence to place your faith. It's not some leap into the dark where you just have to suspend all your logic, all your reasoning. You know, God made you a logical person and a, a person that reasons. So you don't suspend those faculties in your life, but rather they're surrendered to the facts that are presented. And while this is not, each one of these points could be a study in and of themselves, we're going to briefly share them with you so you can hang on to them. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to use the word maps. And the reason why we're using maps is because it'll remind you most of our Bibles have maps in the back. And so you can remember, by remembering the word maps, four pieces of evidence. And I'll just give them to you really quickly now. The M stands for manuscript evidence. The A, it refers to the archaeological evidence. 
The P speaks of the predictive prophecy of the Bible. And then the S is going to speak to us of the statistical probability of all that encompasses of what we're learning. So let's start with M. And that's number one. The M stands for manuscript evidence. Now today there is approximately 14,000 manuscripts of the Old Testament that exist. And about 5,300 manuscripts of the New Testament Greek texts. And here's why that's important. A manuscript is a copy, and sometimes a copy of a copy of a copy, of which the manuscripts that are used in the original language is how Bibles are translated into a modern language. So that the English Bible in your hand is the product of translators, skilled men and women in the language that have taken the original language and translated into the English language that you and I can understand today. Because we believe in the inspiration of the scriptures in their autographs of what was written down. But we don't have any of the autographs today. What we have is representations of the autographs. Manuscripts. Not only are there 14,000 manuscripts of the Old Testament, and why that's significant is when the Jewish people copied their scriptures, let's say they had 10 pages to copy. And so they, they copy meticulously, letter after letter, jot after jot, tittle after tittle, boom, 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 they're copying. They get through page one, page two, page three, perfect, perfect, perfect. They have nine pages that are perfect. They get to page 10. They're about three quarters away done in page 10, and they make a mistake. It's a little mistake, but a mistake nonetheless. You know what they do? They tear up all 10 pages and start over. They would only allow the copyist to have an exact representation of what was being copied. For the New Testament now, when we come to the New Testament, we have 19,000 different copies. We have the baseline of New Testament manuscript evidence and copies sits at about 24,000 pieces. Whether it's a full copy or a portion, they're all counted as one separate manuscript evidence. Now, you have to understand something. By comparison, people that we take for granted to people like maybe you were in college and they made you read Plato. Now, I doubt that anyone here doubted that Plato existed and that he wrote what you read. But do you know that of Plato's works, we have seven manuscripts from Plato? Nobody questions him. We have 20 manuscripts from the historian Tacitus. We have only 643 manuscripts and copies of Homer's Iliad. But the New Testament, 24,000. But let's just say this. Let's say we had no manuscript evidence at, at all. Zero. They couldn't find one copy anywhere, any place they looked. Zero. There's a group of people that we need, you need to be familiar with, and that is the disciples of the disciples. You know how Jesus called 12 to himself, and one Judas ended up betraying Jesus? He killed himself. I believe he was replaced with Paul. Each of those 12 had a disciple themselves and a disciple themselves. Just like you are teaching someone the Bible, sharing the gospel with them, it, it keeps getting handed down. In the first century, there were pastors and leaders that are commonly known as the early church fathers. The early church fathers. These were men that were pastors, they were shepherds, they were bishops and leaders, and we have written copies of their teachings. The first hundred years after the death of Christ, You've got men teaching and going off. As you read in the book of Acts, they take off and they go and all these different, we have copies of their teachings. 
And it's amazing that in the four Gospels alone, just the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're quoted by the church fathers almost 20,000 times, the Gospels. And other New Testament quotes in the early church fathers, 86,000 times. But check this out. If you were just to take the writings of the early church fathers and take out of them the quotations that they have of the Bible, of the scriptures. It would be like this. If I sent you, you go, oh, we lost the book of Hebrews. Nobody has the book of Hebrews. And I said, but I know how we can get it back. Go to the app and start listening to our teachings on the book of Hebrews. And every time I read the Bible, write down what I read. If you were to do that, we would be able to have a copy of the book of Hebrews up to chapter 10, really up to chapter 11, verse 3, because I've covered that so far. So we would be able to have a full copy of Hebrews. If you now were to take, and somebody did somewhere, this was their life's work. Can you imagine that, their life's work? It's so awesome. They took the church father's teachings, and out of the church fathers, they were able to have a full copy of the New Testament minus just 11 verses. Just 11 verses. You know what that is statistically? They had 99.86% of the New Testament that they wrote down just from the teachings of the early church fathers. Is there manuscript evidence for the Bible? Yes, there is. And it's overwhelming. Secondly, A, archaeology. This is really cool because the Bible, the Bible, this Bible here is a book, really 66 books, but it is a one uniform book that is rooted in facts, history, naming times, lands, names, leaders, and a whole host of concrete time-stamped information. It is one of the joys of my life every year to take a new group, a new busload of people to Israel and watch them experience this for the first time. For example, one of the days in Israel, you can take off your shoes and socks, you can roll up your pants, and you can literally walk into and stand in the Sea of Galilee with a Bible open and do your devos, standing in the same place that Jesus was. We could take you over into the city of Jerusalem and show you the Temple Mount where the Temple once stood. You'll be there. Like you touch it with your own hands. The foundation stones that were laid by Herod, some of them are still there to this day. They're massive. We'll actually take you underground to see massive stones from the Temple Mount. We'll take you down to Qumran, that cave where they found almost a full, complete scroll of the book of Isaiah that the Essenes wrote down. And then later, a few days later, we'll take you to Jerusalem and you'll go to the Israeli museum and one of the buildings on the property of the Israeli museum is a room dedicated to the Dead Sea Scrolls and you can see them. We actually had facsimiles of the Dead Sea Scrolls sitting on this stage at one time where you could come and see them with your own eyes. You know, for years, the skeptics said, we don't believe the Bible because it mentions Pilate at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. And we really have no external evidence that Pilate ever existed. He's just a figment of your imagination. And because you believe in that, then the rest of the Bible must not be true. We'll take you to Caesarea Maritima right there by the water. And there'll be a stone sitting right there that you can go up and touch and you can hold. You can take pictures of. You know what it's called? It's called the Pilate Stone. Because right on the stone, it says Pilatus, right there on the stone. But you know, that's not the original stone. It's actually a facsimile. 
So then a couple days later, we'll take you down to the Israeli museum and you will send you back to the far corner. That's where they put it all the way back in the corner. You got to, if you don't have a lot of time, we always tell people start there and work your way back out. Go back and you'll see the original pilot stone that they found. And the museum there, you can actually touch it. And it's there and it's accurate. As well as all of the other things that they found that date back to the Canaanites, to the Midianites. If you go to the Israeli museum, you go to the British museum, you go to the Greek museum in Athens, all the antiquities and artifacts that have been found that validate the Bible. You know, every time they go looking for something archaeological, every time their shovel hits something, it validates the Bible. Now, a lot of people like to say that archaeology proves the Bible. I don't necessarily look at that. You know what I say? The Bible proves archaeology. People have set their whole lives to disprove the Bible, using it as a guide to go find things. Ramsey, he said, I'm going to prove the Bible wrong. Guess what? God proved the Bible right, and he got saved as archaeology opened up his eyes. You know, even today, when they do construction, the Israeli Department of Antiquities, they have tight controls. So let's say you want to build a hotel. And as you're digging a hotel and your, your shovel hits something, all construction stops. And they come out to say, hey, what happened? What are you doing here? What's going on here? What did you find? And if it's something of value that validates the Bible, construction stops. And it could stop for years and years. You go, Ed, come on. Is that really true? <laughs> the Roman Catholics not too long ago wanted to build a hotel just across from the Sea of Galilee. And as they were digging, their shovel hit something and they found an ancient synagogue and other artifacts in an area that proved to be the ancient town of Magdala. And so what the Israel Antiquities did is they made them build their hotel around the area and where the area that they dug is a new place that will take you. We didn't go years ago. We take you there now and you will walk in the literal place where the town of Magdala was. Remember Mary Magdalene? It's all over. You can see with your own eyes. Archaeology proves the Bible, but really the Bible proves archaeology. Thirdly, P stands for the prophetic evidence, predictive prophecy. Prophecy is the calling card of God. Isaiah chapter 48 says, I have declared the former things from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth and I caused them to hear them. Suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Isaiah, carried along by the Holy Spirit, inspired by God, is writing down the words of God. And God says, I say something's going to happen and I make it happen. Only God can do that. Isaiah 46 verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Predictive prophecy is powerful. I'm going to give you this as homework because we're almost out of time, but in Isaiah 44 and 45 are very important chapters. Because when we get to Isaiah 45, verse 1, there's a guy named there. His name is Cyrus. He's named by name, Isaiah 45, 1, Cyrus. And Isaiah says that a man named Cyrus will declare to the destroyed city of Jerusalem that you shall be built. And to the destroyed temple of Israel, your foundation shall be laid. But at the time Isaiah 45 is written, Jerusalem and the temple are still standing, still in existence. It was about a hundred years later that both were destroyed at the hand of the Babylonian armies. At the time Isaiah 45 is written, Cyrus isn't even born. 
not even alive. Babylon was then conquered by the Persians in 539 BC, and shortly after, a Persian king by the name of Cyrus gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple 160 years after Isaiah wrote that prophecy. And there's prophecy after prophecy. Jesus himself fulfilled 354 Old Testament prophecies in his first coming. 354. There were 28 of them. 28 of those prophecies referred to how he would die by crucifixion before the Romans perfected crucifixion. Amazing, amazing book. Which leads us to the last part, and that's the S in maps. Manuscript evidence archaeological evidence, predictive prophecy evidence, and now the statistical probability of all this coming together. What are the odds, is how we would say it. What are the odds that a human being or a group of human beings could write such a powerful book? How could it be possible? Well, it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible never to be done. We learn when we believe in the inspiration of the Bible, what we're saying is, is that the Bible is divine in origin. It is divine in origin. It started with God. And he chose to use men to jot it down, but it started with God. It's a supernatural book. It's divine and supernatural and defies the critics. The statistical probability of the things that I've shared with you is undeniable and overwhelming. For example, if you just took eight Eight. And so when I'm talking to little kids after a service and they tell me how old they are, I always ask them, how many fingers? So I want to show you how many fingers. Ready? Five and three. If you just took eight, and I just want to bring it down very simply, that's how many. You have enough uh, fingers and toes where you can count to eight. Just eight of them. Not 354. Just eight prophecies referring to the first coming of Messiah, of Jesus Christ, that he fulfilled. If you just took eight... We can conclude that the odds of eight, of one person fulfilling eight prophecies, and they're coming to pass in one man's life, are one in 10 to the 17th power, or one in one with 17 zeros after it. Peter Stoner, in his book called Science Speaks, he put it this way. If we take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars, we took that many silver dollars, and we laid them out across the state of Texas, that they would cover the state of Texas two feet deep. Now, that's an overwhelming thing for us to think, state of Texas. It's huge. It's huge. It's just amazing. It's a huge state. It's a huge state. So let's just take it down. And, and the numbers aren't the same, but let's just say that this room, just this room right here, 17,000 square feet. That's all. 17,000. It's not the state of Texas, not the state of Colorado, not the city of... It's just 17 little thousand square feet in this room right here. If we were to take silver dollars and put them on the, in this room two feet high, silver dollars, two feet high, and we colored one red... And we just had one red, and we mixed them in, and then asked you to come in. You got one shot in this room, 17,000 square feet, two feet thick. You have one shot to find that silver dollar. And when you expand that beyond the state of Texas and say you got two feet, just go ahead and wander around and pick one. Those are the odds that one man will fulfill eight of those prophecies, just eight. You can be assured the Bible is indeed the Word of God and true. And if you believe its message, you will have life. Life that starts now and goes on forever. 
We'll hear more about this remarkable book and how we can have confidence in it next time on Abounding Grace. Abounding Grace is easy to hear again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or through our church app. Just search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Looking for some good summertime reading for that vacation of yours? Allow me to suggest The Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. It's a good one. Throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus taught that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, become the servant of all. Now, he also modeled this through how he lived, and that's the emphasis of the Jesus style. You'll learn how to follow in the Lord's footsteps and become the servant of all. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated and put to good use. Request your book today by calling us toll-free at 877 30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. Not long ago, we created an e-store, which makes ordering resources like this super easy. You'll find it at calvaryco.store. And if you just want to make a donation to the ministry today, but you're not really interested in the pick of the month, you can donate online at aboundinggraceradio.com. And don't miss our next study in Hebrews with Pastor Ed Taylor tomorrow on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.